Let's face it, money matters can be confusing. And with something as important as having enough for retirement, it's comforting to know help is just a phone call away. Wealth Managers LLC has helped clients pursue their financial goals since 1984. When it comes to investment advice, experience matters. If you need financial guidance, the folks at Wealth Managers LLC can help. The number is 800-497-9995. Once again, that's 800-497-9995 or wealthmanagersllc.com. After all, money doesn't take care of itself. Securities and advisory services offered through registered representatives of Satira Advisor Network, LLC. Member FINRA and SIPC. Wealth Managers, LLC is independent of Satira Advisor Networks, LLC. The following show, How to Be a Great Investor with your host, Richard Everett, is underwritten by Wealth Managers, LLC. So many folks in the church believe that you're supposed to be poor, and I just don't find that in the Bible. I think God, God wants, wants to bless to us. Bless us. I believe, folks, that people do not enter into the quote-unquote promised land because of fear, because of unbelief, and because of a lack of knowledge. As the scripture says, it's more blessed to give than receive. Welcome to How to Be a Great Investor with Richard Everett. Richard started his career in the financial services industry back in 1984. He's the founder and past president of the Everett Financial Group. Richard was also a member of the International Association of Financial Planners and was named Financial Planner of the Year in 1996 by First Financial Planners. In addition to teaching hundreds of seminars, he's hosted his own radio and television shows and has authored several books on finance, including Whatever Happened to the Promised Land. Richard has taught his biblically-based financial principles in churches, conferences, Bible colleges, and universities, including Yale University's School of Management, Believers, and Business Conference. And now, How to Be a Great Investor with Richard Everett. Welcome. I'm Richard Everett, your host of How to Be a Great Investor. My goal is to help teach the art of investing through biblical wisdom and contemporary investment insight. And I have some really good news for you folks. I'm retired. I don't have any products to sell or agenda to push. Just common sense principles I have learned over my 35-year career in finance. No hype, just facts. Today's show is going to be entitled, Whatever Happened to the Promised Land? How to Reclaim God's Promised Blessings. Let me start off by telling you a true story. Back in the early 80s, I went through a business failure. In fact, I ended up being $250,000 in debt. If you adjust that for inflation, that's about a million dollars today. Things got so desperate for my wife and I. We had absolutely no food left in the, in the kitchen to feed our kids. We had no money. We had bill collectors breathing down our necks. I mean, it was a really, really difficult time being unemployed and, and not being able to feed my family. And in fact, one morning I came downstairs and my wife says, we were going to feed the kids today. And uh, I turned my back so she wouldn't see me cry. And I said, well, the Lord will provide. And I truly believe that. And just a few hours later, the doorbell rang and it was a complete stranger. And he said, are you Richard Everett? And I said, yes. And he pulled out a $100 bill out of a shirt pocket and said, here, I don't know why I'm here, but God directed me to give you this. 
And that was just one of several miracles that the Lord provided for us during those extremely difficult times. But I had to go find a job. I had to pay my bills and I had to feed my family. And over uh, the course of a, a few months uh, looking for jobs, I had to pastor friends of mine and regular friends of mine encourage me to get into finance, which I actually thought was quite humorous. Um, imagine a business failure, me, going uh, in, into the financial industry. But after several promptings, that's exactly what I did back in 1984. I started my career proving once again that God does have a sense of humor. But if you think about it, King David, the Apostle Peter, and Moses went through failures in their life, and yet God still used them in a mighty way. So after going through a few years working for another company, I decided back in 1987 to start my own financial investment firm. The Everett Financial Group later became one of the largest independent firms in the country, and we were able to help thousands and thousands of people help them with their finances uh, over the last 35 years. But the good news about that, at least for me and my family, was that uh, we became so successful that we actually paid that $250,000 in debt off and became debt-free in just eight years. So the goal of this show, Whatever Happened to the Promised Land, is to share with you some of the things I learned that changed my life financially. We went from being broke and unemployed to becoming debt-free in just a, an eight-year period of time. We went from wandering in the financial desert to entering into the promised land. And let me just share with you the story from uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And, and don't turn off the show. I'm not going to preach a sermon on the book of Numbers. So I'll put you all to sleep. But most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the story of uh, Moses and the 12 spies. They went out um, into the promised land to kind of scope it out to get a feel for what was in the promised land. And when they returned, 10 of the spies had a negative report and only two of them had a positive report. And the result of that was that God was extremely displeased. And the Israelites ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years because of that. And if you think about it, if you go and look at the scriptures, there are two distinct reasons why the Israelites did not enter into the promised land. One was unbelief and the other one was fear. Let me just share with you a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 3.19 clearly says they did not enter in, talking about the Israelites, due to their unbelief. And if you look further in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 26, God says, but you were unwilling. So they didn't enter in because of their lack of belief that God actually wanted them to enter into the promised land, but they were also fearful. If you go on to Hosea 4, 6, it says, my people are destroyed due to a lack of knowledge. So I believe, folks, that people do not enter into the quote-unquote promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, because of fear, because of unbelief, and because of a lack of knowledge. And so what I want to do today is share with some of the ideas that I have learned over my financial career. You know, when going back to when we were dead broke, I had no place to turn except to God's Word. So I ended up reading the Bible from cover to cover, highlighting what the Word had to say about money, stewardship, and finances. And I learned a great deal, and I applied those principles and those verses to our financial lives. And again, in just a short period of time, 
we entered into the promised land. So here's a couple points I want to share with you. Number one is God wants us to live in the promised land. Let me share with you a couple verses to prove that. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In the book of Psalms, chapter 128, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord and walk in his ways, who will eat of the fruit of their labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Now, let's be clear, this is not a name it and claim it and blab it and grab it message, but so many folks in the church believe that you're supposed to be poor, and I just don't find that in the Bible. God wants to bless us. Uh, he wants us to enter into the promised land. And if you think about the the story of the spies, the majority of the spies didn't want to enter into the promised land. There were two that were visionaries and saw that that is indeed what God wanted them to do. I mean, think about it. After all, why did God call it the promised land? Because he promised to give it to us. So he promised to give us financial freedom and resources as believers. Stay tuned for more great information on how to be a great investor with Richard Everett. If you would like to learn more investment tips and techniques for Christians, the website is greatinvestor.org. You can also sign up for Richard's blog, check out his books, CDs, and listen to his podcast. Once again, that's greatinvestor.org. You can also ask Richard your investment questions by emailing him at info at greatinvestor.org. That's info at greatinvestor.org. Okay, let's get back to Richard Everett as he shares more investment wisdom on how to be a great investor. The second point is I learned that through reading the scriptures that God is a giver. I hadn't really realized that before. That's part of his nature. And let me prove that to you as well. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God gave us his son. If we look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. John 17, 2 also says that as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he, referring to God, should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So you get the point that God has given us eternal life. He's given us the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he gave us his only begotten son. So God clearly, by his own nature, is a giver. But here's point number three. God wants us to be givers as well. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said, freely you have received, so freely give. And in the book of Proverbs, it says that a good man's earnings advance the cause of righteousness. Now, I want you to think about that, folks. How can we give unless we first receive? I mean, we have to earn it in order to be able to give it. So we're made in the image of God. God is a giver, and we're supposed to be givers as well. Again, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. I just want to share a story with you. 
uh, goes back a number of years ago, but it's still uh, dear to my heart. When my wife and I first got saved and started going to church, we decided that we wanted to help those in the church that were less fortunate than us. So we would visit the pastor and give him uh, a check and tell him to distribute to whoever needs it the most in the church. And we really didn't want to know who it went to. We just wanted to be a blessing. But this one particular Christmas, I had an appointment to see the pastor. My wife dropped me off, and she went off to an appointment. And so I met with the pastor briefly, gave him a check, told him to give it to whoever needs it the most. And I went back in the foyer, and while I was waiting, this um, woman walked into the church that I knew from church, and she had a, a meeting with the pastor. And when she came out just a few minutes later, her face was glowing like an angel. I've never seen anything like it. And I said to her, what's the matter? What's going on? And she says, well, you're just not going to believe what happened. I mean, her husband had left her. He was an alcoholic and took off and left her with three daughters, young daughters. And she was desperate. And as it turned out, the pastor had just handed her the money that we had given him to share with someone in the church. And it was just such a blessing to my wife and I to be able to see someone firsthand be blessed by our giving. As the scripture says, it's more blessed to give than receive. The fourth thing I want to share with you is that about tithing, an uncomfortable situation for some, but I learned something that tithing is really not an option. Now, tithing is giving 10%, and the Bible clearly, at least in my mind, clearly uh, instructs us to give 10% back to the church and, and to the Lord. Um, something I learned a long time ago, I, I, I've done a fair amount of counseling to young folks, to young couples in particular in our church. Pastors would send them to me, and I'd try, do my best to try to help them get their financial house in order. But something I learned the hard way was to ask the young couple, they would tell me how bad things were, and I would try to help them. But the, the thing that I learned was that I needed to ask them if they were tithing. Because if they weren't tithing, they're violating God's word. And by doing so, I could be the smartest financial planner in the world, and I would not be able to help them. It would be a me against God, and I, that, that's we all know who's going to win that battle. But here, over the years, young couples come back and say, well, you know, tithing is uh, only in the Old Testament. It's part of the Old Covenant, and Jesus never said anything about tithing. And actually, um, that just shows an ignorance of what God has to say about tithing. And let me just prove it to you. I'm not going to do a whole sermon on tithing, but I'll just give you a few points. There really is no excuse for not tithing. When folks say it's only in the Old Testament, that is absolutely not true. First of all, before the law was given, the Old Testament says that in Genesis chapter 14 that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the high priest at the time. So Abraham tithing to Melchizedek was pre predated the law being given. So it was something that went all the way back to recorded history. But here's something interesting. Folks will say to me, well, Jesus never said anything about tithing. And my response is, really? I mean, if you look at a red letter edition of the Living Bible and look in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus actually said, yes, you should tithe. Now, I don't know how you don't interpret that to any other way. Jesus said, yes, you should tithe, period. So again, tithing was Old Testament predating the law. Jesus confirmed it um, when he was on earth and doing his uh, ministry. And uh, Malachi chapter 3 
says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, there's always been a debate about Christ, among Christians about whether or not you should tithe on the gross or the net. And I would just ask you to look up what the word whole means. Malachi, again, says bring the whole tithe. If you look that up, that's the gross, not the net. It's interesting also that in the book of Malachi, it's the only place where God actually says, test me on this, that test me that if you tithe, I will open up the windows of heaven and bless you. I want to share a story with you, a true story about uh, John and Mary. John and Mary came in to see me a number of years ago. They sat down and Mary started crying. And I said, what's the matter, Mary? And she says, well, we're up to our ears in debt. And uh, I said to her, how much money do you owe? And she says, well, $3,000. Now, to me, that wasn't a lot of money. I was a quarter of a million dollars in debt, and they were only 3000 in debt. But they were a young couple, three young children. She had to stay home and didn't have a job outside of the home to take care of the children. And I said to John and Mary, I, I'm pretty sure I can help you. I got out of debt. I, I'm sure I can help you get out of debt with the $3,000. But again, my first question to them in a counseling session was, do you tithe? And she looked at me and she looked at John and John looked at her and she says, well, sort of. And I said, well, Mary, you can't sort of tithe. It's like being pregnant. Either you are or aren't. Either you are tithing or aren't tithing. Either you are pregnant or you're not pregnant. And she pointed at him and blamed him and says, well, he doesn't want to tithe. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. If you guys decide that you want to put God first in the area of finances and start tithing or giving 10% of your income, you come back and I promise you I'll put a plan together. And I promise you, based on God's word, that you'll be able to get your financial house in order sooner than later. Well, interesting enough, she called me the next morning and says, well, you're not going to believe this, but we just decided to start tithing. So they came back in. I put a plan together for him. And about two weeks later, she called me and says, Richard, not going to believe this, but John, her husband, had a job that was uh, only allowed him to work 35 hours. It was a union job, but said the factory just got a contract. And now John's going to be forced to work 45 hours, 10 extra hours, five of which will be time and a half. And I said, that's awesome. She goes, well, we're going to take that extra money and start paying down the debt. Isn't God wonderful? I'm just so glad you guided us into the tithing process. Well, a couple weeks after that, Mary calls me back again. She goes, Rich, you're not going to believe this. said, I used to do Tupperware parties, but because of the economy was so bad, I haven't done any in about six months. But believe it or not, I just booked six Tupperware parties for the next month alone. She said, I usually make a couple hundred dollars off that. And we're going to start using that money to start paying down our debt. And I said, that's awesome. I said, isn't God faithful? And a couple weeks after that, she called me. She goes, Richard, I'm not going to believe this, but we have friends that live in a house in the next town over, and they are missionaries, and they're going to be heading to China for a couple of years. They want us to live in their home free for the next two years. She says, it's amazing. We're going to be able to take all that money we're saving on rent now and pay down our debt. Well, John and Mary moved, and I didn't hear from them for a while because they moved to the next town and started going to another church. But my wife bumped into her at the grocery store um, a few months after that, and Mary said to my wife, tell Richie's not going to believe this, but we have paid all the debt off, and we actually – have enough money to for a down payment on a home. So because they were faithful in the area of tithing, God was able to allow them to become debt-free and to move into their own home. So in spite of what you might think, the scripture clearly says that we're obligated 
to return 10% to the Lord. We'll be back with more How to Be a Great Investor with Richard Everett. If you would like to learn more investment tips and techniques for Christians, the website is greatinvestor.org. You can also sign up for Richard's blog, check out his books, CDs, and listen to his podcast. Once again, that's greatinvestor.org. You can also ask Richard your investment questions by emailing him at info at greatinvestor.org. That's info at greatinvestor.org. Okay, let's get back to Richard Everett as he shares more investment wisdom on how to be a great investor. The fifth and final point I want to make is entering into the promised land in the area of finances won't be easy, but it will be worth it. So many folks I know think that it is an easy process, and it's not. It's hard work. It's like anything else in life that's worth accomplishing. It's work. Let me share some bad news with you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It's part of the curse. When Adam and Eve fell and were forced to leave the Garden of Eden, that's the curse placed upon them. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. That's an unfortunate consequence of the event of the fall. But the reality is that the sooner we realize that we're going to earn our living from the sweat of our brow. In other words, we're going to have to work hard. Or let me put it in modern day version. Ringo Starr said it don't come easy. So if you want to become financially free, you're going to have to work at it. And one of the ways to do that, I think, is for you to visit our website, uh, greatinvestor.org. And by doing so, you'll see all kinds of free resources for you to be able to help you uh, get out of debt and how to get your financial house in order. There's free downloads in there. There's a couple of my books on the website that you can order. You can sign up for my financial newsletter. You can actually email me your financial questions. And I'll be more than happy to uh, get back to you with the answers. Uh, You can also listen to our podcasts. There's several of them on different subjects. Again, how to get out of debt, how mutual funds work, women in investing. Again, all types of different useful free information for you to be able to start your journey into the promised land. A couple of the tips from my book, Whatever Happened to the Promised Land, by the way. Let me just share you one One quick uh, story. A young lady came to see me a number of years ago, and her parents actually made her come see me. We started talking. She goes, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't have any money to invest, and I'm too young to get started. And the story went on, but I I asked her a number of questions, and I said, well, you know, does your company have a 401k? And she goes, yeah. And I said, does your company do any kind of matching for your 401k? And she goes, yes, but I don't contribute to the 401k because I don't have the money. What caught my attention while she was sitting across from my desk was she had a Starbucks cup. And I said, well, what's that? And she goes, well, it's a cafe latte. And I said, well, how much does that cost? And she goes, well, it's about four or five bucks. And I said, well, do you do that every day? And she goes, yeah, I stop there every day before I go to, to work. And I said, well, why don't you take that money and invest it in your 401k? I mean, just say it's $5 a day 
and your company uh, matches your 401k at 50 cents on a dollar, I mean, you could save $7.50 a day. You do that over your lifetime. I actually took out my calculator and did a calculation for her, and she saved that $7.50 a day for her working lifetime. She'd end up with almost a million dollars. In fact, it was 966000 So I suggested to her that maybe she'd get a can of coffee and make it at home before she'd go to work and stop going to the Starbucks and start investing the money and become a millionaire at 65. But there's all kinds of useful information on the website. Again, most of it's free. We put it all together to help you folks. But it's a great way for you to hone your skills. It's chock full of uh, all kinds of financial resources. You can sign up for the newsletter. Here's another tip from my book, Whatever Happened to the Promised Land. If you go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 41, you read an interesting story about Joseph. He was thrown into prison and he became known as an interpreter of dreams. And the Pharaoh had some disturbing dreams and called him out of prison. And he was able to interpret those dreams for Pharaoh. As you may recall, the net result of the uh, dream interpretation was Joseph said that Egypt is going to go through seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph didn't stop there at just interpreting. He actually gave Pharaoh's advice. He says, why don't you take 20% of the surplus in the seven years of plenty and save it? And this way, when the seven years of famine comes, Pharaoh will be able to feed everyone in Egypt and other countries and be able to sell the grain and uh, make some money. So I think that's a quite interesting analogy for us um, that it probably wouldn't hurt to save 20% of your income when you're making a good living. And this way, when you retire or this way, if something bad happens to you or your family and you're not able to work, you actually have money put aside. I use this in a I, I taught at several colleges over my career, and I use this as an example of funding an emergency fund. Save 20% of what you make, and if an emergency comes, you should have enough to take care of you and your family if your family faces seven years of famine or bad things happen to you. Again, if you have an opportunity, pick up the book, read it. I'm just simply sharing with you what I learned as I went through a financial failure and how, based on God's word, I was able to turn our life around and become better stewards, better investors, and better savers. So this is Richard Everett. Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks for listening. I hope you were blessed by the stories and uh, scriptures that I shared with you today. Don't forget, our God is in the multiplication business. May God bless you and keep you, and may God bless America. Remember, folks, money doesn't take care of itself. Stay blessed. This has been How to Be a Great Investor with Richard Everett. Ozzy, I've been thinking. About what, Harriet? Now that the kids are married and retirement is not that far off, shouldn't we be doing some serious planning? (laughs) Why don't we sell the house and downsize before the kids decide to move back with us? Very funny. I meant financial, investment, and retirement planning. It's really important to get good advice. I think we should call the professionals at Wealth Managers, LLC. I hear they're helpful and easy to work with. You're right, Harriet. 
I love the sound of those words. Here's the number, Ozzy. Set up a meeting. 800-497-9995. Securities and advisory services offered through registered representatives of Satira Advisor Networks, LLC. Member FINRA and SIPC. Wealth Managers, LLC is independent of Satira Advisor Networks, LLC. And can be reached at 800-497-9995 or wealthmanagersllc.com.